Hey guys, if you listened to the last episode, you'll notice that I didn't do my normal sign-off. And that's because this episode is part two to the character creation episode. Uh, It was just too long, we couldn't edit out uh, enough of it to make just one episode. So we went ahead and chopped it up and put it to uh, two parts. Uh, So you'll hear um, us going right into conversation uh, shortly after this little intro. And then you'll hear our sign-off at the end. Thanks for listening, guys, and if you like us, go ahead and like and follow, and give us some feedback on the episodes, and email us if you have any topics that you want us to talk about. We're not, we're, okay, so we're not like a, we're not a beefy wizard, right? But hear me out. Hear me out. Mm-hmm. Well, when we start talking about the schools, though, we could be a beefy wizard. Uh, we could. That is very true. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, since you're since we're talking about that before we get into actually picking and choosing spells, what arcane tradition do we want? At level two, we can choose an arcane tradition uh, which shapes our practice of magic through one of the eight schools: abjuration, conjuration, divination, enchantment, evocation, illusion, necromancy, or transmutation. Uh, the school of evocation is is detailed at the end of the class disc, uh, description in the player's handbook uh but they're pretty either self-explanatory or you can google the the, the word um but it's it's just the classic definition of each of those schools oh. so which one do we I want go for I it robbie it. i can explain the schools of magic i got this okay yeah if you want to do it go for it so in dungeon and dragon's lore the weave exists oh, get away from me dog Fucking. <laughs> Sorry, I love you, Drax. Um, the weave exists, uh, and the weave is uh, pull is what gives every wizard their sort uh, is what every wizard pulls their magic from, and it's the basically magical fabric that exists in the world. And wizards train for years to interact with it, and they interact with it through these various um, basically classifications of spells and magic. There's abjuration, conjuration, divination, enchantment, invocation, illusion, necromancy, and transmutation. Each one providing a different and tangible way to kind of manipulate the weave. And since Watsi hates everybody, um, or Watsi, <laughs> I don't know, um, they decided to add specializations. So um, there's also more. Yes. Um, there's there's the ability. Uh, there's, Wizards who go to school to to not learn magic for the sake of understanding the weave, but instead are practiced and true warriors who wish to use it on the battlefield will take up um, studies into war magic. Um, those who are trying to learn how to basically um, bend the weave around them to uh, write down inscriptions of spells and like really catalog um, catalog magic as they go along might take up the order of the scribes where they get a talking spell book and it lets them um it cuts down the time that you take to write down spells in your spell book um now eberron introduced two new um no not eberron not eberron uh what's it called wild mount uh which is can is that is it canical now can i talk about it without like getting sued yeah, I think we're fine. Like they've released it already, so I mean, yeah, like it, it's part of the like the the whole thing now, right? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. So in Wild Mount, in Wild Mount, there is um, a form of a form of magic that exists that allows you to manipulate gravity and time. You can either become a chronology chronology wizard, which allows you to manipulate the fabric of time and space itself and bend uh, the weave to help you like move through time. Or you can become a uh, graviturgy uh, wizard, which lets you manipulate gravity and basically like mass and lets you control the um, gravitational pull around you. Um, There's one more and it's it's a weird one um, because it's race specific, but elves perfected a way to use magic in battle and that they call it blade singing, which allows them to manipulate uh, magic around their swords and blades and weapons and so yeah the the possibilities are endless and since you're a changeling i think you can technically pick up blade singing 
as well. So that. So yeah. Hey, what you're thinking? Blade singing. Yeah. Well, see, I'm um, blade singing is is cool because it's a it's a more combat heavy um, form of magic. So you basically activate this thing called the blade song, which lets you invoke elven magic around you and it provides you with all these buffs so you gain like agility focus speed and like so it like will raise your ac and makes your walking speed um better it gives you advantages on like acrobatics and like it raises your constitution scores and like it gives you better concentration on your spells um and like that's cool and all um but like again we only have like 11 hp uh, <laughs> and as much as uh, as much as those buffs sound really cool, um, you dancing into the um, center of the battle might not like. It's not going to go well. Yeah, it might not end well. Um, but I'm I've always been so the cool thing about the schools of magic, like abjuration, conjuration, etc., is that they are directly connected with the types of spells that you cast. And it really helps, it helps you categorize the magic and what it does into like these different, like um, into different sections. It's easier for you to choose what kind of spells you want to pick from when you pick your school of magic. So like, for example, if you pick the school of illusion, since you are an illusionist wizard, it's easier to just like put, pull all the illusion spells out because your body is able, because your, your school of magic directly influences the type of spells that you want to pick. So like, you don't have to pick illusion magic, but um, the school of illusion will give you bigger buffs on your illusion spells and make it easier to cast them. You see, like, it's just that synergy that goes on um, between them. But I've always been a huge fan of the school of necromancy. I like that actually. Shocker. Shocking. Um, you can't, <laughs> if, you, if you don't have an army, you can raise one. Um, <laughs> Literally from the ground. <laughs> who, needs, um, who needs a party member when um, they can keep going after they died? You know, like just, <laughs> just raise. I mean, I, I've always been a huge fan of, of necromancy too. That's that's always been because I don't play many spellcasters. I like if I do a spellcaster, I usually want you know something a little darker, that kind of thing. But yeah. is, is that where you see this character going, Veneer? No, Veneer seems more like a, um, would probably be at the School of Divination. Um, because Veneer is a nomadic, I know if Veneer is a nomadic changeling and like is, uh, is, has been traveling with this tribe and is basically studying magic like through, like, through these like group of nomads it would probably suit them well to have like a school of divination like teachings like some someone who can like kind of foresee danger and like kind of foretell like when where they're going to end up and whatnot so i'm all for divination what about the school of transmutation Ooh, transmutation is a fun one um, it's basically like Full Metal Alchemist, um, which is not yeah. only ones, but you know, yeah, like. Very far. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's basically you're, you're you're turning things into other stuff. Um, I know that if you pick the school of transmutation, you do get a very interesting ability. Um, you could, if you take the time um, to to do it, you can actually temporarily turn a a uh, thing's physical properties of like a non-magical item into something else so like you could turn like stone into wood iron into copper silver into like whatever you want so i mean either one of those are going to work for me um i think i'm leaning he more heavily towards divination uh just because uh i think um being more on the nomadic tribe side of things i think that uh indigenous uh classes or subclasses don't get a lot of play <laughs> um and there's there's an argument to make veneer um kind of um uh, 
not necessarily shamanic, but I mean, leaning towards that or being a more learned, learned person since they have the high uh, intelligence. So, yeah. Okay. I like it. And then um, I was looking at uh, some of the backgrounds uh, because I I stepped away for a second. Um, But I was thinking of one of two. I think we used Far Traveler for uh, Goldwing. So I, I, you know, although Far Traveler would work for a Nomad, I was thinking of not doing Far Traveler uh, and doing something kind of off the wall of Archaeologist. Ooh, Archaeologist is fun. And purely because they get, they do get one other language um, and uh, they get either a choice of cartographer's tools or navigator's tools which goes hand in hand for for nomads and then they get a proficiency in both history and survival again going hand in hand with nomad like exactly the historical knowledge mm-hmm. which allows them to uh, discern um the origin of an object so like say for example it's kind of like a, a dwarven like stone sense thing right like dwarves can like kind of tell when it was built, like what kind of stone was used and all this stuff, they can kind of tell who built it, like elves, humans, and they have like an innate sense of what race was associated with building with the builders. And um, they also can tell like the value of like pieces. Like they're like, oh, that's worth this or that's worth that. Right. Which might not come in handy for this nomadic character, but it's cool nonetheless. Yeah. And then they also, uh, they do get extra starting equipment uh, from their background. Uh, they get a wooden case containing a map to a ruin or a dungeon which gets the gears running for a story weaver i mean it, it could be something that you set up with your player um if you know they say hey my background is archaeologist i've got this wooden case containing a map of a ruin or a dungeon uh i had this idea or if they have no idea as as a player they don't have an idea of what the ruin or dungeon is you can make that ruin and or dungeon uh and it can be an awesome side quest or even a great one shot uh, for a main goal for the entire party if they uh, role play it well enough. Oh, I, um, I'd be pressing that in an instant. Mm-hmm. Exactly. When I saw that, I was like, oh, man. Like, I would already be drawing a map. Like, if, if a player came up to me and was like, hey, I'm an archaeologist, I was like, don't worry. I got your dungeon. <laughs> here's a map. Uh, yeah, here's a map. Uh, and then you also get a bullseye lantern, a miner's pick, a set of traveler's clothes, a shovel, a two-person tent, a trinket recovered from a dig site, which is another plot hook uh, possibility, right. and a pouch containing 25 gold. Ooh. Oh, yeah. So that, that's, yeah, that's, that, yeah, I, I really like I've seen archaeologists come out, and I, I kind of want to make a character that's you know, an archaeologist. That's, that's a forest. <laughs> that's, that's what. That's a forest thing. Forest like making like archaeologists stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> but now I can see like a big baddie coming for. Maybe it's the last piece in in a a shrine that they're building to an ancient. Cthulhu God or some shit. Yeah. Definitely. Um, and then scrolling down, uh, if you if you're if you were building along with us uh in the archaeologist background, it does have um optional pe- uh personality traits, uh flaws and ideals. Um but uh we could you can pick your own or you can um go through the table. Sometimes I will randomly generate it and just roll the die to find out which uh, which personality traits we have, but you can also pick and choose. And then you also get a feature from this background. This background is actually like chock full of stuff. It's really cool. Uh, the feature is Dust Digger. Uh, before becoming an adventurer, you spent your life in, in your young age crawling around in the dust and pilfering relics of questionable value from the crypts and also from ruins. Even though you have managed to sell some of your uh, some few of your discoveries to buy proper adventuring gear, you have earned enough coins 
you have been held on you have held onto an item that which has great emotional value to you uh, you can choose an item from the below table uh, or else you could roll on the uh, signature item table to check for what item you have and those items are a 10-foot pole a medallion a crowbar another shovel a hat a sledgehammer a hooded lantern or a whip um medallion stands out to me the most i like uh, what do you think robbie I like the ten foot pole. <laughs> just for just the shits and giggles. <laughs> I don't know why. Just because it's the pole. Tell you what it's oh, I would. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, and then also a second feature: historical knowledge. Whenever you enter a dungeon or ruin. Uh, you have the capability to correctly ascertain its original purpose, uh, its builders, and even though they were, uh, let's see, and also determine its builders, even though they were by, uh, God, they typed this weird. Even though they were uh, by any known races, like dwarves, elves, humans, Yanti, uh, you can easily determine the monetary value of art objects in this ruin. Uh, which is more than a century old. So, uh, weird grammar writing translation. Uh, when you enter a dungeon or a ruin, you're able to find its purpose, who the builders were, what race they were, uh, and any monetary value of applicable art objects that are uh, more than a century old. That was... <laughs> My head hurt trying to read that paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, so we have that. We have our background. Um, from our background, we can glean some of our backstory as well. Okay, so Robbie, what what was your idea about a background for this for this creature? Oh, okay. So um, here's my thing. <clears throat> so veneer was part of a nomadic tribe that was just outside the, the the border, just outside the forest that borders Baldur's Gate. Um, the nomadic tribe travels around um, the larger forests, forests that surround the, the outer gates of, of Baldur's Gate and kind of like loop around the, um, loop around down towards uh, where uh, Candlekeep is located. Um, so like they travel that, that path and they kind of keep to the seaside, like fishing and hunting and, uh, gather and trading with people, with villages along the way that way. Um, the is this nomadic tribe all changeling? Yeah, they're all changelings. And the cool thing is, is that each changelings encounter with somebody, um, they always take on a new form and they gather new knowledge based on the form that they take on. Um, one of the cool things about the somatic tribe is that it actually loops around Candlekeep, um, sticking, sticking close, sticking far off into the forest, but close enough to kind of gleam people who are going into Candlekeep and they'll shapeshift into these people they see coming in and out of Candlekeep, kind of taking a piece of knowledge with them every time they, they shapeshift, which is how they gather a lot of their arcane traditions and arcane knowledge is that it's from these people that they're morphing into as they pass by. Okay. Oh, veneer. That's right. Oh, and so veneer is um is is a child or pro is a product of um this accumulated knowledge. So like he's trained in the arcane arts by various teachers who it's all the same changeling. It's just morphing into different people to teach him different aspects of magic, which is how he learned about the weave and how he learned about how to manipulate magic and and use it to as a to um ascertain or kind of dive into divination magic um and the reason that he's in he's coming forth into this adventure or whatever adventure it is is that he ends up getting separated from the nomadic tribe and ends up traveling too farther too far in inland like farther away from the sea he eventually um finds himself in 
um, familiar territory. It's like uh, there's fake creatures everywhere. It's a giant forest. And he ends up bumping into a half-orc that's walking down the path trying to figure out um, her father's <laughs> past. So our other character we made. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to build a whole party. Is that what you're talking about? Well, see, Veneer, Veneer was already already built, essentially. <laughs> I just didn't have, like, his stats down or, like, a backstory for him or, like, what he was. Um, but that was Gloria's. That's, keep, keep an eye out for my... Keep an eye out for my, uh, my, um, my entry into Gloria's backstory where you can meet Veneer. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that the short story you were supposed to write a month ago? Well, that's a short story that I'm still writing. And, you know, um, artwork takes time. And um, I'm, I'm like a terrible person. So, <laughs> you know, like, it's, it's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, that's my that's my that's my suggestion for his backstory. I like it. I mean, I'm I'm down for it. I'm good with it. Good. I don't, I don't know. I, I didn't mean to like. I didn't mean to like. Just to just be like, and this is what he is. But um, no, I mean, I mean, I mean it's it's hard. Them. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. And and it's hard to uh, to build a character between three people. So the less. Uh, not necessarily arguments, but the less uh, we try to go back and forth on what their uh, backstory should be and what their extra stuff should be, the better. I mean, if you're building a character for yourself, you're making all these decisions. You know, we're we're trying to pass the torch between Robbie Thorne and I um, just so that we're all, I guess, getting some airtime and, and talking about this character. But you're going to be making all these decisions. You're going to go through it and put the stats where you want. Uh, and I don't suggest making constitution your dump stat, Robbie. Um, Ever. And, uh, uh, no. <laughs> no, no, hold on. Um, at level four, at level four, Veneer can get, right, that's when you get a, you get a feat at level four, right? You can get a feat, uh, which is the, what we normally suggest, um, because the other thing you can do is ability score increase, but that's not as great, oftentimes. And and how far so, you with your feet? The feet give you more. You can still get a bump, but you're going to get something extra with it. Agreed. It's true. Well, here's my argument. Um, so, a veneer, powerful divinationist veneer, um, is able to foresee the aspects of battle before he um, engages in them, which can be seen in his ability as a um, divination wizard, which is his portent. His portent allows him allows you at second level to roll two d20s and record the numbers rolled. You can replace any attack roll, saving throw, or ability check from any creature using those foretelling rolls. And at level four, you get a feat. You could take the lucky feat, and then you all get you get more rerolls. So basically, you're squishy, but no one can hit you. And this is what happens when you have a player that knows what they're doing, that yeah. has the experience to uh, modify the bad stats in, in creative ways. Mm -hmm. What you can do. As for a beginner. I don't recommend making your constitution your dump stat. Yeah, that's true. I mean, as a beginner, but but well, somebody's going to be your dump stats. Going through any of your campaigns with six hit points to start out with, <laughs> five hit points actually at first level. Okay, yeah, five. is what we started. With. Yeah, you know, you know damn well we're dead. <laughs> Look, I Bobby, be honest. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. I don't mean to like. Yes, you do. Don't lie. Make you all explode. Yes, you do. <laughs> At least I let you guys save against them. I mean, this is true. You give us that like 10% chance. <laughs> if you're lucky. If you're lucky. If your dice gods are, are you know, nice to you this round. <laughs> 
that's basically the character. Are we missing anything? Languages. Languages, that's right. We need to go back to that. So we actually get to pick uh, three. So Sylvan, I say first one. Sylvan sounds like a good idea. I think so, Considering yeah. the fae nature of the, uh, of the changeling. Uh, okay. So we're talking about Baldur's Gate, Channel Keep, What's that, Thor Coast? Yeah, so yeah. Dwarven would be good because they're often traitors. Yeah, Dwarven, Dwarvish is a good one. Another good one is um, is if a wizard is uh, is is um, breaking down uh, ancient texts, um, you could pick uh, Primordial, um, Celestial, or Abyssal because a lot of uh, oh. like a lot of ancient texts might be written in those. I think uh, Abyssal, just for fun, for flavor. Abyssal's always a fun one. Abyssal's always fun. Like, everybody, like, that's why I don't ever have anything in Abyssal anymore. <laughs> I was always like, yeah, it's an Abyssal. You can't read it. Um, we all know Abyssal. Yeah. <laughs> it does oh, okay. happen. Yeah. <laughs> so. Fair enough. It's like Draconic. It's like, you can't right. read Draconic and anymore because everybody and their grandmother knows Draconic. <laughs> then we gotta go through spells. That's right. That's right. So now, spells, if we go through spells, that damn it. I said if we go through three spells, that should take us through two episodes, probably. Yeah. Why'd you say damn it? I didn't hear it. I dropped my mic. Oh, okay. I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, uh spells are so spells are very much um a, a thing for like so you're you're building your character right and like it's like it's what you feel like doing like you're like right. oh like this looks like a spell my my character would cast i mean you can make it as story relevant as you'd like but most of the time it's just it's literally just what you want yeah, it's just pick a thing. Yeah. Um, so for, for cantrips, I mean, we could do a speed run, right? Uh, I can pick uh, cantrips, Robbie can pick first level, and Thorn can pick second level. Yeah, I got to get my book. Okay. Uh, so you get your book while Robbie and I do this. Um, so I think for cantrips at third level, we still we know, we know four, correct? At third level... Yeah, we know three. Oh, we know three. Okay, so first one is going to be Dancing Lights. It's an evocation spell. It takes one action to cast. You have a range of 120 feet, and it's a concentration spell for up to one minute. Um, and it has uh, vocal, somatic, and uh, material costs. Uh, it's basically a, uh, a spell that gives off uh, four torch-sized lights within range. Uh, and because they're dancing lights, um, they on a as a bonus action. So if you were in combat, it's a bonus action. But in roleplay, you just say, "Hey, I'm going to move these things." But you can move the lights up to sixty feet. So for an archaeologist, for a nomad, for somebody who's exploring, a light cantrip is just a necessity in my mind. It just makes sense. Yeah, and, um, and that specific light cantrip that you're using is one of the one of the better ones. Um, I think so, because I mean, like the the other cantrip is literally light, but it's a touch, and yes, it lasts for one hour, but it doesn't move. Um, so you have to, you know, it 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 saves you. The, I like the dancing lights better um, because I don't necessarily have to constantly tell my DM, "Hey, I'm going to touch this wall and create a light." Hey, I'm going to touch this thing and create a light. Hey, I'm going to. It just, I have the dancing lights. I move the lights. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, so that's one. Uh, the second one, I'm going to say uh, message. I like message, especially since we're nomads and we're going to be uh, tribe heavy. You point your finger towards a creature within range, uh, which is 120 feet, and whisper a message. The target and only the target hears that message and, and can reply in a whisper that only you can hear. Um, it can, ca it can be cast through solid objects if you're familiar with the target 
and uh, know that the target is beyond the barrier. Um, and then, you know, you get, there's some kind of uh, uh, flaw to it. You get magical silence or it can't go through one foot of stone, one, one inch of common metal, a thin sheet of lead, blah, blah, blah. Um, but it's a nice little uh, transmutation cantrip to uh to send messages and and you know as far as role play is concerned uh you can role play that message and communicate with your team if you're in another room and then the third one i always you i i typically i pick two for role play and i typically do a third one for combat just so that i have at least one uh spell and i i stepped away i think we we chose divination for our uh our class right yeah. Our, uh, yeah. But the only okay. thing cantrip that exists is um, true strike. But I would never ask anybody to take. <laughs> yeah. Um. So I think let's do um let's do ray of frost. Uh. So ray of frost is a evocation cantrip, casting time one action, range sixty feet, and its duration is instantaneous. Uh, it's a frigid beam of blue-white light that streaks towards a creature within range. Uh, you, as a player, make a ranged spell attack. Again, that's that d20 plus your spell modifier, which for this character is a plus five. Uh, on that hit, it takes 1d8 cold damage, and its speed is reduced by 10 feet until the start of your next turn. At higher levels, uh, 1d8 at uh, first through fourth level, at 5th level, it goes to 2d8. At 11th level, it goes to 3. And at 17th, it goes to 4d8. Um, so the cantrips, you're not able to cast at uh, extra levels. But as you grow as a wizard, so like at that 5th level, your cantrip gets a little bit stronger and you do more damage. So that's something that, you know, instead of running our poor little 11 hit point wizard up to beat an orc with a quarterstaff, um, you can use Ray of Frost and still stay 60 feet away. So that at least gives you one round uh, where that orc isn't going to be able to dash at you and uh, attack. <laughs> so those are those three cantrips. Message, Dancing Lights, and Ray of Frost. Ooh. All right. Now I have first level spells, and I'll be choosing three first level spells, so that way uh, Thorn has a chance to choose three second level spells. And I'm going to go with some oldies and goodies. Um, we're going to do shield because, obviously, um, <laughs> shield is like your amazing arsenal. Um, if you are, if you ever are in the danger of being hit, um, cast shield and give yourself that chance. Um, I'm also choosing a new spell um, from uh, Tasha's Paladin of Everything. Um, we're going with. Tasha's Caustic Brew. I, Ooh. It emits a stream of acid for 30 feet long and 5 feet wide in the direction of your choice. Each creature in line must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or be covered in acid for the spell's duration or until the creature uses this action to scrape or wash the acid off itself. A creature covered in acid takes 2d4 acid damage at the start of each of its turns. And lastly, um, we, might, we can't go anywhere without a um, utility spell. Um, mm -hmm. I was gonna say, so we have a couple options. Um, another oldie but, but goodie is mage armor, which uh, you already have shield and you have all your divination stuff. So mage armor doesn't seem like a like, it, it could help later on possibly. Um, magic sure. missile, uh, you never miss. But at later levels, it's not exactly a very useful spell. It only does so much damage. You cast it at a higher level to deal a little, to deal extra um, extra damage, but or to add an extra dart. But the darts themselves only deal one d4 plus one force damage to your target. So I'm thinking, go with one that go with a spell that's actually like might actually really help out your party and yourself. Um, I'm gonna say Tennister's floating disc. <laughs> It lets you carry 500 pounds behind you without having to pick it up yourself. So, say for example, your um, plucky uh, 
your plucky half-board companion decided to get herself in a scrap and she falls over uh, knocked out. How are you going to move her? You're a wizard. You, um, your strength score may be high, but like moving her is going to take a lot of effort. So instead, just cast Tennister's Floating Disc, which lets you just pick her up right off the ground, three feet, 500 pounds, and uh, the disc follows you 20 feet behind you and can move about 20 feet away from you. So, yeah. I like it. Now, I will say, because you made an argument against uh, magical mi uh, magic missiles, but magic missiles is one of those guaranteed hit uh, type of options. So if you know that you're going into a campaign where it is going to be combat heavy, or you know that you're going to be going up against um, uh, creatures with high ACs or high saves, you could always have at least that consistent damage. I mean you know even 3d4 plus one you automatically have um six right because it's it's 1d4 plus one and then each time 1d4 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 so you've got at least six damage right there all the time and then of course you can cast it at higher levels for more damage um yeah i mean if so, you cast it like if you cast it as a seventh level spell um, it would deal, it would add an extra six darts to its right. thing. So you would be throwing a total of nine darts out. Um, yeah. Target, which I guess could do, it's not a medic hit, it could be like a chunk of damage. But if you have something like, um, at that level, things are sometimes resistant to like force. And, but I mean, I could see what you mean. Like, yeah, I mean, and it, the nice thing about wizards is you have that spell book. So you don't always have to have these spells prepared, uh, but you could have them in your spell book and you could take a short rest to uh, change out your spells if you know that you're going to be needing something over another um, and uh, switch it out just like uh, your ammo in first person shooter games. <laughs> All right, it's you. Second level spells, lay them on me. Oh, you got, I got three of them, right? Yeah. Okay, the first one I, I like, um, I kind of like blindness deafness. Kind of like what? Blindness deafness. Ooh, blindness deafness. Because, it, I mean, if it, if it works, I mean, they're gonna, not going to be able to hit you. And when you have 11 hit points, you don't want them to hit you. Yep. Um, one that I like that I think is actually underused a lot is Detect Ox. Because if you're going up against a, a big baddie, you can figure out what he's going to do next. And not only that, it, it works in uh, big areas if you want to detect thinking creatures. That's true. So that helps. Um, the last one, uh, man, it's hard to decide with all of them. Mm -hmm. uh, I really personally like cold person. Oh, that is a good one. Uh, mainly because again, it's, it's going to give all your, the rest of your party, uh, advantage to hit them if it works and they're not going to move. It's going to be easier. And with the shorter, with only a few, uh, I think it's actually only one second level spell slot right now. Uh, it's two. Is it two? Yeah. Man, it's an old one. I mean, that gives you a couple good choices. And you don't have to have everything prepared at once. But I think those three, uh, you know, one divination spell out of them all, I think it's going to be the best way to go. Nice. I love it. It's that's awesome, and I think that's it. Yes, so, yeah, I think that's it. Veneer, I think so. So that we give you veneer. Veneer. <laughs> if you want to use it, use them. Go ahead. Just let us know. It's not not a permission thing, but please, we want to hear the story. If you use veneer in your campaigns, or even as an NPC, I mean, you have a free statted NPC there as well, uh, with a background. Um, so if you do use Veneer or Gloria Goldwing, uh, let us know so that we uh, can get a kick out of your stories and uh, 
will uh, will shout you out. Uh, and if you if you tell a little bit of a story, we can do a story at the end of one of our episodes or something. Um, but it would just be cool to to hear. That would be great. Uh, and with that, uh, a little bit of news. Um, we have expanded our Patreon page. Uh, if you like this content and you want more of it, you can't get enough of us. Uh, we do have extra bonus content in our Patreon page. Uh, if you choose to support the podcast, uh, the money goes towards new equipment, new software, um, extra stuff like merchandise and uh, uh, eventually books and things like that. We're going to try and uh, get into the works uh, soon-ish. Uh, but we've expanded the uh, the Patreon page and uh, gotten some more content into each tier. Um, and the one that I want to uh, share the most with uh, that we're coming out with is Tavern Talk with Tobin and Illidine. Uh, this is something that Robbie's actually going to get surprised on right now, right here, just now. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we okay. came up with the uh, Thorn and I came up with this yesterday. And what we're going to do is all the tiers, starting from, from $1 a month, you can get access to these episodes where Robbie is going to interview uh, Tobin and Illidine. And you know, Thorn is uh, the host. He's uh, his old character, Tobin, uh, and myself, Illidine. We're going to respond to Robbie's questions in character the entire time. 20 to 30 minutes we're going to be drinking beer having fun telling telling stories in character it's not going to be us just talking about what happened as we were playing the game it's going to be as it happened to us as the character um it's going to be a lot of fun uh we haven't decided how often we're going to do it yet whether it's going to be once a week or once a month uh but look forward to those uh we will be putting out one uh for free on uh, the main channel uh, so that you can listen to it. And if you like it, go ahead and join Patreon. Uh, the other thing that we're uh, doing is we're doing an NPC of the month or uh, NPC of the week, sorry, and a town of the month uh, in our uh, Tobias entourage tier and above. And that's where we do basically this. We come up with an NPC. We give you a backstory. We give you um, the uh, plot hooks, any any way to use the NPC, and give you that free license to use that uh, content in your campaigns, or even if you have your own YouTube channel or podcast, whatever. As long as you give us uh, just a little bit of a shout out, you can use that in your stuff. Um, and the same thing for the town of the month. We create a whole. A whole town. <laughs> we we went through. Uh, I think we talked for about two hours last time, uh, and did a dwarven um, fishing village in the underdark. Um, and I will put a ten minute preview uh, of that in this episode. So keep listening, and you will get that preview uh, for that. And again, that's in our Patreon page. So if you like our content and you feel like supporting us and you want to hear more visit us at patreon.com slash dungeon occupied uh and you can also just google search this dungeon is occupied and it'll bring up everything our facebook page patreon um and our uh, podbean um and we are also if you're listening on podbean we're also on google podcasts and spotify so tell your friends let everyone know uh we're trying to get onto uh apple itunes as well um I, they're just sticklers on on certain things and it's a little harder to get into but we're working on it uh and again we apologize for the sound audio uh in episodes one through 12 we're getting better we're learning thorn has a new mic um robbie has a new computer now <laughs> uh so we are we're getting there and we're trying uh and uh, we hope you enjoy everything else and with that Thank you for listening, and remember to check your dungeons, because this dungeon is occupied. So if we want to do a true NPC adventure, let's do a, I mean, just something something basic. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm thinking maybe a, a fighter 
or a, uh, I mean, Paladin. Because usually, like, when you do NPCs, What's... you don't want them to be over the top. Right. They're not the leaders of the story. Right, of course. Um, so, so you what want, we could do... You want them to be useful. Right. Um, let's do... How about let's do a cell sword? There you go. Uh, so we're talking basically a mercenary. A mercenary. Um, and so that, that brings the, the, the fighter martial class um, yeah. into it. Um, what level are we doing? We're doing level one? We're doing level three? What are we doing? You know what? Roll a d20. Let's see here. Solid d20. And I rolled a 12. <laughs> okay. So a fairly, fairly strong uh, adventurer. Um, now yeah, what... If we're, going, if we're going 12th level, yeah. Yeah. So now what I normally do, I don't put stats typically on my NPCs unless I know for absolute certain that these guys are going to get uh, attacked or fight um, simply because there's there's no reason to do all the extra work and looking at, at feats and stuff if there's not going to be a fight. So if it's somebody that I'm specifically making an NPC for a guide or a messenger of some type, I'm just going to have like a basic backstory of this person and then go from where wherever the party goes to what about you thorn yeah I'm, I'm the same way i don't actually like my entities to fight yeah uh because that's not what they're there for right um i usually when i when i use npcs that i i set out um they're they're going to be there for a long time and there's a good chance they will fight, or I'm just proud of the concept that came up of them. Mm -hmm. uh, but for the most part, when I when I bring NPCs into the party, I don't expect them to fight at all. Right. So it, it's actually just more of a concept than anything. Right. And of course, uh, for people who are listening, there are uh, mercenary, soldier, sellsword, uh, uh, bodyguard and uh regular guard stats in the monster manual and in mordenkainen's uh, it's either in mordenkainen's or in um the other monster manual that i the name escapes me at the moment um but uh you can you can easily just have those stats on hand if it's just a simple npc um you know right now we obviously rolled for a, a level 12 so he's a higher mark uh, but sometimes what I do is I look at the, the stat block of whatever NPC I'm looking at. So like a, it's I think the soldier is a CR2. And then I just look at, okay, if it's going to be a level 12 fight, then we're going to just add a little bit more HP. We're going to add maybe an extra attack um, and maybe one special move. And that way there's a little bit extra to work around. But otherwise... You can, I mean, the the stats themselves, strength, condition, uh, uh, constitution, and all of that, it all pretty much stays the same anyway, just like regular player characters. Exactly, and and really, as DMs or storytellers, uh, you can give them any stats you want. You don't mm -hmm. have to roll them. These are NPCs. Um, I mean, if you truly enjoy character generation, which Newer players, I mean, they, they do. Um, I find it, I find it gets to be tedious after a while. Oh yeah, for sure. So uh, I tend to make up the stats in my head and write them down sometimes. Yep. So, so I mean, it's really all you. The big thing about the whole NPC thing is, if it's going to be an NPC in your in your game, it's the backstory. Right. And so for level twelve. I mean, we're talking, he's at least a sergeant. I mean, he's, if, if he was a, least, he's a cell sword a captain. now. Yeah. Um, he, might, so, he might even be a captain. So. Right. So what we could do is um, 
we can come up with the his his small backstory of why he became a sellsword. Um, you know, and uh, I don't normally like the oh, I just needed money. Um, I like a little bit more oomph to backstories. Exactly. Um, <laughs> and I know you do too. Um, but we can come up with why he's a sellsword. Um, what happened? Um, you know, because with that why, it's it's usually a what happened. You know, uh, most of my sellswords were either soldiers in an army, or they were indoctrinated, or they were uh, what's the word conscripted, um, and then when they got out, they had this ability and they needed to do work and they didn't know how to farm, so there's something to do. Um, or they, if I went the evil route, they enjoyed what they were doing. <laughs> well, it's like they, they have a choice. It's either uh, a bandit on the side of the road or so forth. Right. Um, so I think just because I don't want to randomize everything, I think what we can do is like you come up with one thing and I'll come up with another. Um, and just kind of fill in the blanks. Um, so I'm going to say that this guy, um, from level 12, we'll go ahead and say he was a captain, um, in, uh, we'll say he was a captain in the Royal Guard, um, captain of Royal Guard, um, and I don't know, throw out a, a kingly name. Jarvis. All right, so he was captain of the Royal Guard for uh, His Majesty King Jarvis the Third. Um, one, two, three. Okay. Um, and what happened that he left the Royal Guard? I mean, why is he a sellsword now all of a sudden? Well, I mean, Jarvis was kind of a dick. Okay. So, uh, throughout his career to be a captain, you know, it started early, mm-hmm. obviously as a, uh, uh, what's it called? The, the one to help the Knights. Uh, squire. Like he, he started out as a squire. Okay. And, you know, worked his way up as he got older and became the captain and through, you know, some unrest with this king's uh, subjects. Hope you enjoyed that sneak peek at behind-the-scenes content on our Patreon. If you did, consider f- supporting us at patreon.com slash occupieddungeon. And if you like all of our content, give us a like and a follow. And if you don't mind giving us a review on the apps that you get your podcast content from, whether that be Podbean, Spotify, or Google Podcasts.